knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. Thanks for joining us once again, everybody. Big Dave Lemon back in the studio after four or five days out in Las Vegas. We hope you enjoyed the show that we put together from interviews out there. Certainly was a lot of fun and very interesting. Uh, back in the studio tonight, and I brought a few interviews back with me, but mostly uh, I'm going to spend the hour talking with uh, Michael Tate, who joins me in the studio. Uh, Joe is on a boat somewhere, uh, I think down in the islands, uh, cruising around. Uh, but having a good time on a cruise, and uh, Michael, kind enough to join me. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, my pleasure. Love being on the show, Dave. Okay, uh, certainly uh, uh, there is so much going on, and there are so many stories to talk about, and we will have fun tonight. In fact, Michael was the first guy I saw from uh, South Florida when I walked in uh, to the Rio and down the hall and walked into the pavilion room where the cash games were going on, and you were right at the table near the door. Right. I didn't know that you just walked in to Vegas. That was, but, my, yeah. that was my debut in the poker area. But, I was uh, just sitting doing what I do and grinding the cash games, which were, as always, uh, very good at the Rio. Yeah, certainly was a lot of fun uh, for me to see all that stuff happening. And, uh, you know, as I, as I move along, I realize that there are so many people out there that just play the cash games. They are so good and, and, and can be so lucrative that uh, a lot of people don't even make it to any bracelet events. Right. I didn't play one tournament at the series. I tried to satellite into the main, didn't make it, uh, but won every session of cash game that I played. Every session? Every session. Is that uh, by plan that you wait till you get up before you decide that maybe I'm going to leave or... In fact, if you're down, not even a significant amount, but somewhat, uh, that you'll stick it out and try to, to make it a positive uh, session? Yeah, as long as the game is good. Um, if the game, the game can turn from good to bad so easily if a couple of the, the key players at the table lose their chips and get up and leave are replaced by a couple of, of good players or tight players, all of a sudden a, a great game can become not worth playing, and then I get up. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really a big part of the series that uh, the average person probably doesn't realize is is there the whole time. I mean, obviously, you can play those daily events, those uh, 185s, 235s that go on. I think there's four of them each day. Right. Uh, you, or you could just sit down and play the cash games, or you can get into a satellite and try to get into a bracelet event. I'm sure uh, you've you played plenty yeah. of satellites to get into the main. Absolutely, I played I played um, big mega satellite to get into the main. I didn't play any of the single tables, uh, didn't play any of the daily tournaments, just grinded the cash games and uh, and took a shot to get into the main. How many days were you out there? I was there for about 10 days. 10 days, okay. Yeah. And uh, when I saw you, that was about halfway through your trip? Yes. Okay. And did you stay at the Rio? I stayed at the Rio and then moved to the Venetian okay. and played a couple of the deep stack tournaments at the Venetian and also played cash there. Now, that was the other thing I, I really realized more this year than any other year is how much other activity there is going on out there and that a lot of people, uh, you know, jump from place to place to get into some of these events. It's it's pretty crazy. Yes, and the deep stack is, is very well planned that their events are timed so that they know when people are going to bust out at the Rio events and they're going to come and, and buy into the Venetian. 
because that's been pretty popular for several years out there. But I think Planet Hollywood was uh, more of a factor this year. Of course, the Aria has the WPD 500, which was a big thing. Right. And then, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can go all over the place and, and name a bunch of hotels that have some good action going yes, on. Yes, there's a ton of going on at the same time. Well, there's a lot. let's get into some of uh, what happened there. Obviously, we are down to our November 9. I don't know if they're going to call it the... Octo 9 this year. I've seen that in print a couple of different places because uh, the presidential election is the first week in uh, the first Tuesday in November. So uh, they're actually going to start the November 9 on October 30th. Then Halloween will be the middle middle day and then the first will will, will wind things up. But they're down to nine players. Uh, there is a player who a lot of people in South Florida know here, Jerry Wong, who plays in a lot of events at the Isle. I don't, I don't believe he's he might be living here. I'm really not sure exactly where he lives. But he made the November 9. We'll talk about some of the guys who went deep. Uh, very interesting, uh, Cliff Josephy, who's known as Johnny Bax. I don't know how much you've heard about him over the years, but I know he was one of the first big uh, guys who staked other players. And Correct. And came to fame there. He's the chip leader. And we'll talk about uh, some of what happened there. But... Uh, with all the big names, you, you kind of would hope that maybe, uh, you know, last year we had Negreanu finishing 11th, and, and it brought a lot of excitement to all the television shows. Uh, we didn't quite see a lot of that this year, but there were big names into the final couple hundred, and, and uh, everybody has their little favorites that they might be cheering for. Uh, you know, Jason Mercier had that tremendous series this year with two bracelets. Uh, didn't get the third, but uh, we had him on the show last week uh, via tape, and uh, basically he kind of uh, led on that that wasn't even his only bracelet side bet and that he had several where he he would win if he won two and then he had somewhere if he won one so i think he came out on the positive end oh yeah he made yeah. a lot of he made a lot of money in the side bets he found a wife out there yeah that's great <laughs> which is pretty cool uh i i think uh i think uh Natasha, who uh, he proposed to out there, she's a very good poker player herself from the Tampa area. They've been going out for over a year, and he popped the ring uh, right after she finished third in a bracelet event, won $348,000, was, of course, disappointed, but he turned that around immediately by uh, getting down on one knee and offering her the ring. Uh, they have a little poodle puppy that they bring out there named Marshmallow, and that was the funny thing I saw uh uh, you know, Jason came back and said, uh, you know, two bracelets, uh, four final tables, and uh, I, I found a fiance and, a, and got a ring out there. Uh, but the funniest thing was that Marshmallow got to five final tables. <laughs> they, they bring this puppy on yep. their lap, and a very well-behaved dog. And you know, I guess uh, I, I wouldn't call it a service dog, but I guess because he's Jason, that right. people don't say anything. And, uh, you know, uh, Jason made four final tables. Natasha made one. So the dog got to sit at five Good final tables. Yeah, what a great story. Yeah, timer. it is a great story. And he's such a nice guy. And, uh, you know, the other thing that we talked about on the show last week in the interview was he's very close with his family, uh, very tight with his father. And they had flown out there during the series to tape some interviews for a pokerography feature on him, documentary on Poker Central. So they were out there to do some interviews and that sort of thing, and his father was there for for his one of his rings, 
and uh, it was actually able to present the bracelet to him on stage oh, that's the awesome. next day, which yeah. is a fantastic story. When you played the cash games there, you were in the room where uh, I think a lot of the bracelets were given out, if I'm not right. mistaken, right. Uh, if that was the right room. But uh, there were some great, interesting stories. I talked with the t- tag team champions uh, last week on the show, Ryan Fee and Doug Polk. And uh, that was a huge uh Success. Uh, that was something that hadn't been done at the World Series since 1983 or two, uh, and back then it was like a mixed doubles where it had to be a man and a woman. But this year you could play anywhere between two and four players on a team, as long as each of the players on the team played at least one orbit, complete orbit. You could break it up any way you wanted to. And Polk was actually uh, playing in a, uh, a big event toward the final table, and Sophie played most of it, but Polk played some big hands and. And uh, it was kind of interesting, but uh, the main thing that came out of that was that everybody had a blast, and uh, it's kind of a cool concept. I think that's a fun event. I, I'm sure that they'll keep it for next year, and they made it a low buy-in so that a lot of people could participate. Exactly. exactly. Uh, the interesting teams uh, that, that made it part of the interest for the outside fan, I mean, you had the Mizraki brothers played together, mm-hmm. all four played on the team. Uh, and actually, uh, in the main event, all four guys went to day two. Donnie was the first one knocked out, and, and eventually they all were eliminated. Uh, Michael had uh, the chip lead, I think, on day four or five and was challenging deep. But then, you know, as he is prone to do, you know, go crazy and play a lot of hands, and eventually he uh, got caught and, and knocked out. But that was one of the teams. Uh, Jonathan Little, who's currently on the cover of the new Card Player magazine, uh, and we've talked to is, you know, really blowing up as far as uh, his teaching career. In addition to his playing career, uh, he played with his parents. So it was, the team was little, little, little. Yeah, it, which it, I thought was cool. It, it's great that some big names came out, and that makes it exciting for everybody else to come and play. Certainly a lot of fun, and, and there are just so many aspects to it. Uh, you said you did stay at the Rio for a little bit. Uh, I didn't seem to hear as much complaining as I have in the past. Now, poker players are always prone to complain. Of course, the prices can be a little out of hand at times. Um, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, you're getting nickel and dime for everything, uh, whether it's the $2.50 banana or, uh, you know, pretty much anything that you could bring up. But it is a money-making venture, and uh, certainly it was ironic that uh, players thought there shouldn't be a rake in the uh, main event, and the, they actually were going to file some sort of uh, you know, challenge to that. But I'm sure that uh, that brought a big laugh out of the, uh, yeah, the offices of the WSOP. I, I, one of the huge uh, changes that I saw in Vegas this year was the lack of taxi cabs because everybody's using Uber or Lyft. Mm-hmm. And at the airport, it used to be a long line to wait for a cab, and now there's no line. Hmm. Well, I did hear some complaints about that, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of people found fault with some of the Uber drivers and preferred Lyft, uh, which is the other competing company. But, uh, um, you know, I, I didn't really take any cabs or, or any rides anywhere because, uh, you know, I did stay at the Rio and, and everything was right there for me. Uh, I did walk one day over to the Palms and, and participated in some stuff over there. But, uh, you know, it, it's off the strip for people who don't know and, and know, you know, that it's at the Rio. But it's pretty much detached from the strip. It's not easy to get to the strip. You have to go under this bridge and around this turn and this and that. It's not like you just, even though you can see the strip from the hotel, it's not an easy walk. So 
if you want to go anywhere, if you want to play in another tournament at Plan Hollywood or somewhere else, you really got to take some kind of transportation right, right there. Right. It, you can walk to Caesars or Bellagio, but it's not it's not a short walk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the walk to the Palms, which is basically right across the street, can right. be kind of a tough walk because it's uphill walking over there. Right. So it's not the easiest. Everything looks closer than everything. Really uh, the other thing that was really great was uh, the Poker Players Alliance had a pretty good presence out there. I went to their seminar talking about what's happening in online poker. And I, I know you don't – have you ever played online poker? Yes, I played okay. a lot of online you poker, did. but don't anymore. Okay. Uh, you played on Full Tilt? Uh, no, on Party Poker. Party Poker back yeah. in, the, in the early days yes. of online poker. So, uh, you know, certainly a lot of us feel that it's very important for the game to bring that back. And, and uh, you know, there has been some strides made, obviously, that there is online poker in Nevada and uh, Delaware and uh, New Jersey. But we haven't been able to make that next step for the last couple of years. So a lot of the discussion out there was on where we stand uh, with legislatures in California, New York, Pennsylvania, some of the big places right there. And basically the outlook for a lot of people that have been pushing for it for many years is that we're on the cusp, but we need that first domino to fall, and then things may break into line. Right. Well, it's, it seems like it's any moment that it could happen. Let me ask you this. If it were available in Florida, would you go back and start playing online? I would definitely play some some tournaments online. I don't know about playing cash games. It would depend on how much of a new audience was drawn to it. If a, if there were a lot of people playing, there might be some good cash games. If there were explosion, like the days of party poker, where right. people were learning how to play, people saw Chris Moneymaker uh, in right. 2003, and everybody said, well, I can do this too, and then they started playing. And, of course, there's a lot of very small games, uh, $0.10, $0.10, $0.20 cent cash games and the dollar tournaments. And, and there's all levels of play, obviously, but, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of people just learning, and for the experienced player, that can be a, a, a real uh, a bonanza. That can be good. But I, I would take some shots at some multi-table tournaments. It's much less likely that you're going to have people colluding against you in a multi-table tournament, and you could have some big paydays. Well, we'll get to some uh, some of the results of the tournament. There are a lot of stories that I'd like to touch on, but uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about your experience um, you know, again, as I talk about people playing the cash games and really focusing on just that, is that your whole outlook going out there? What is your plan when you when you have a trip ahead of you, nine or ten days, what you're going to do when you get out there? Yeah, this year what I intended to do was to satellite into the main event. That was the only event I was going to play, and then play some deep stack events. It turned out that the cash games were so good that there really was no reason to play anything else. And after not winning my seat in the satellite, I just concentrated on the cash games. When I moved to the Venetian, I still played cash games because they were good over there uh, and did play two of the deep stack events. Didn't cash, but again, the, the cash games were so good that it didn't matter. Now, are you talking, when you say deep stack, you're talking about the, extra, the deep stack extravaganza right, the tournaments the there? Uh-huh. Or are you talking about deep stacks in general that you prefer playing in tournaments where you have 20,000 starting chips as opposed to 5,000? I do. I always look for the structure of the tournament first. I want a tournament where I have a lot of chips and, and slower levels, longer levels. Now, just because you get a bigger, larger chip stack, it seems like, you know, that could be offset by the fact that people are making bigger bets. Uh, but it really doesn't quite work that way. It is a, a structure where you have a lot of time. You can make a few mistakes, and, uh, you know, you can take your time before you're 
really going right. all in. Right. It would only be offset by them skipping levels. If the, if they're not doing that and they're and they're doing a real structure, uh, in the way that I play, it's much more uh, beneficial for me to have a deep stack, longer levels. Like you said, it's forgiving. You could get away from a hand where you've got kings or queens, uh, and you end up avoiding running into aces. Where with with a lot of the World Series events, and you have maybe five thousand chips to start. You're, you're probably going to get all your chips in the middle. So the, the, uh, for someone who has the patience and discipline to play a longer event, that's a better structure. Now, what kind of games do you play? Do you play 2-5 uh, mainly? I was playing 2-5, 5-10, whichever was the softest table that I And how do you had. know that? Uh, I sign up for both. I get As soon as I get to a table, I figure it out pretty quickly, and I'll either put in for a, a table change or I'll wait to get called for one of the other games. Now, how hard is it to change tables? Easy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how long does it take you to realize? You, is it basically one or two players that you're, that you're maybe trying to avoid? Uh, do you know anybody where you sit down and say, I played that guy before, he's a fish, I, I'm going to try to grab his table, and that sort of thing? It's a combination of that. I know some of the people. I'll look at the chip stack. On the table, I want a game where there's a lot of chips in, in play and the chips are in front of the right people. I also want a game where uh, the game is jovial and people are having a good time right. and, and, and gambling it up. If that's, I go, that's hard to find, right? Isn't, well, is not, it the, not no? during the World Series of no, the Rio. Okay. Down here in South Florida, it's probably impossible. But uh, at the Rio, you have games where people just want to come out there and have fun. They've got chips in front of them and they're they're, they're throwing a party. Now, as you talk to people, get to know them, uh, you know, there's, have you made friends out there that, uh, of people that you played at the table and, and maybe stayed in touch with them over the years, or is that kind of too bizarre? No, I, um, I don't really stay in touch with people, that I, and I'm not out there really to make friends, but I do have people who will say to me, oh, uh, how's everything in Florida? And they've played cash with me here in Florida, and they okay. remember, and, uh, and I'm happy to have associations like that. But, no, I'm not, not really looking for friends when I go out there. As far as, uh, you know, people you say having a good time, uh, do you, did you see more of that this year? You've obviously been out several years to play in those games. Did the, uh, the tone and the nature of the games change uh, over the past few years? Where you've seen a lot of people that are more intent on social interaction and having fun? Uh, yeah, I have saw people this year who had played very little cash and, and very little tournaments who were in events. I thought it was great. I thought there was a big, big mix. And, of course, there were grinders and pros out there, but there were a lot of people who were just there to play in the World Series. Now, what is your schedule out there? Do you, do you want to have some nightlife, some new restaurant experiences, some shows and that sort of thing, or are you concentrating on business at, of poker and that's it? Mostly poker. I did go to one show, and I always eat good food, but I'm really there just to capitalize on, on the poker. And the good food is going on the strip and finding some places, some uh, big-name restaurants that uh, obviously you got, uh, you know, Wolfgang Puck and Guy Fieri and uh, Emerald and, and places like that that are always out there where the big stars of cooking and, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of uh, the food and restaurant business are, are around. Or, you know, do you have, like, little out-of-the-way places maybe that you found in the past that you'd like to concentrate on? Uh, I look for new places. I talk to people and see if there's a place that's off the strip that's, that's really good food. And then I love the buffet at the Bellagio. Anybody you want to plug? 
No. Restaurant? The, the Bellagio Buffet is, is really? great. Okay. Yeah. Never had that. Uh, how's the one at the uh, Rio? It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I did get to Guy Fieri's restaurant. I mentioned it on the show last week, and I enjoyed that. I sat at the bar and, you know, had some stuff. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, if you're prone to famous people and that sort of thing, I mean, certainly it's out there for those people that are into that sort of thing. Never but, been. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, let's take our first break in the show. That kind of give you a taste of uh, what we're into tonight. We'll also uh, talk about the tournament itself, plus plenty of the stories that all are, are around out there. Uh, um, one of the stories that I had, uh, sent Michael a link to last night that was just one of the great stories was written by Lance Bradley, who uh, had not much interaction with this year. He was there, and he... Uh, I have interviewed him in the past. He's formerly the editor of Bluff Magazine that's now writing for Pocket Fives and came across this tremendous story. I uh, followed some of his day-by-day uh, wrap-ups of the uh, main event, so uh, I do have a lot of that information that I've been following closely. Um, and he writes a few features here and there, but uh, he saved the best for last. Just a great story about a fellow named Bob Brundage that uh, always had the World Series of Poker on his bucket list and uh, got a chance to fulfill that. He, um, he's, doing, he's fighting cancer. He's doing pretty well. But he finally got a chance, thanks to a good friend of his that bought in for him, put him up in the penthouse at the Rio, which was fantastic, and uh, had a little bit of cash that he was able to take care of his good friend in a, in a time of need. And uh, he made it, I guess, to day three before he finally got knocked out and had some great stories to take home with him. Uh, day f- Day five, I think. He oh, made he the, did? Because he, he made did. the money. Okay. Yeah, he got to Well, day four, I think, we'll see. Uh, let me think now. Uh, it was, the money was supposed to be uh, achieved on Friday, which was, uh, I think, day four. And instead, Thursday night, it, it right. got done. They so got it was pretty early. I think it was like day three. The end, the end of day three was when they actually reached the money. So right. uh, I'll look back at the story, and, and we'll, we'll confirm that. But uh, just a great story. The friend who put him in actually played in the main event, too, so it kind of fulfilled his bucket list as right. well, although he didn't do quite as well. I think it's a must-read article. Yeah, it's fantastic, and we'll uh, give you the, the information on that when we get back. Also, uh, some other stuff just to uh, tease a little bit, uh, the appearance of, uh, of Jesus Ferguson and Howard Lederer. Uh, which affected a lot of people. Great other little stories that are involved. And then uh, some people that we knew that did actually very well in the tournament. We'll talk about some of that, too, as we get back. But uh, thanks for being with us, and we hope you'll stick around for more of the show. Michael Tate, a a longtime professional player, uh, has uh, joined me on the past before, filled in for Joe when Joe has been out of town and uh, was kind enough to do so again. So uh, we always have fun. It flies by the time, and uh, and we... uh, we have a great time just talking poker and talking World Series. Yes, we do. So we'll be back with more of that when we get back. We'll also update you on a couple of things going on locally. Of course, the Seminole Hard Rock has a big series coming up in August. Uh, they actually will kick that off later this month. And right now, the Florida State Poker Championship at the Isle is going on. Uh, Michael will be playing in the main event this weekend. So we'll we'll talk about what his plans are and and how he came out of things out in Vegas and uh, some of the things he did out there as well, along with all the stories associated with the seven weeks of poker action out there in Las Vegas. So we'll be back with more of the show. First, let's uh, mention Gulfstream Park. Uh, it's located in Hallandale Beach, located on Federal Highway. 901 South Federal Highway is the address if you want to put it in your GPS. But uh, all you got to do is just point the car toward Pegasus, which is in the parking lot the 110-foot statue, 
that is located uh, out in the parking lot. And, of course, they have the Village of Gulfstream Park, which is out in front, all the shops and the restaurants and the bars and the stores and the bowling alley. Just a great entertainment venue here in South Florida. Uh, but, of course, uh, our focus is often on the poker room where we go and play some of the tournaments. They have a nightly tournament at 7 p.m., all different uh, buy-ins. Uh, at one time, uh, in fact, they still do have a PLO tournament, which is on Wednesdays. And they have a very special uh, high-hand giveaway that's involved with the tournament itself. So uh, that's something to check out if you like a, uh, different mixed games. But mainly most of them are uh, Texas Hold'em. And they start at 7 o'clock. And there's, of course, all different buy-ins, all different starting stacks. And if you want information, uh, give the Poker Room a call at 954-457-6336. That's 954-457-6336. But uh, great stuff if you'd like to gamble. There's certainly all kinds of stuff to do there. Uh, entertainment, dining, and uh, just a great experience. And you can take the family there and have a great day of it as well. It's Gulfstream Park. Welcome to your playground. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean. You can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available later this year. Energy drives our nation's economy and is an important part of our daily lives. By taking steps to become more energy efficient, we can all save money and help reduce our nation's overall energy demand. I'm Energy Secretary Sam Bodman, encouraging you to use Energy Star products and appliances such as dishwashers, washing machines, and thermostats. They can reduce your energy bills by up to 30%. Replacing your existing light bulbs with Energy Star qualified fluorescent lights in the lamps and fixtures throughout your home will save up to 50% on lighting costs. By installing Energy Star storm windows and double pane windows, you can reduce energy loss in your home by 25 to 50%. You have the power to make a difference. By using Energy Star products, you can reduce your home energy bills and help our nation reduce its energy use. More information on Energy Star products and savings can be found at W www.energysavers.gov or call toll-free 1-877-337-3463. This powerful savings message is provided by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Alliance to Save Energy. 
Welcome back to the show. Big Dave and Michael Tate here in the studio tonight talking about the World Series of Poker and everything that went on out there over the last uh, seven weeks. Michael was out there for ten days. I was out there for five and uh, got a chance to uh, look very closely firsthand at the main event. We'll get to some more of the main event in a little bit. Uh, numbers were up this year. Uh, last year they did about 64, I guess 6420 or something around that. This year they did 6737 players. Uh, day 1A, which is always the smallest, was up uh, a handful, about a dozen players or so for the first day, uh, around a little over 750. And then the second day brought it up the total to about 2,500. Uh, that was also up uh, marginally for day uh, 1B. And nobody thought that uh, they, they were going to need well over 4,000, well, around 4,000 players, let's put it that way, on the final day to reach uh, last year's mark. And a lot of people thought they were going to fall short, which when you get to those kind of numbers, doesn't really matter. But it's a source of pride out there to try to increase, you know. And, of course, back in the day when Jamie Gold won and there were 88,000 players or something like that, there was... Uh, there was certainly uh, a little more interest before the uh, UIGEA kicked in, and then obviously Black Friday changed things a lot as well. Took away a lot of the satelliting and that sort of thing, but uh, that in itself is a big business, and you said you did play in some satellites out there. Um, you have all kinds of different choices on how to satellite into the main, uh, and you could do it online as well. You do, and uh, yeah, people thought that when you couldn't win your seat online, that was going to take away a lot of the... But I think it's great that the numbers went up and they smashed the record for a single day on on the the third day one. So that's great. Again, if you're you're looking at uh, the number of women that played, uh, really kind of uh, it's been pretty static over the last few years. Stayed about the same. Uh, I think four percent, just under four percent of the field in the main event were women. Uh, we did see two women win bracelets this year in open events, which was pretty cool. Uh, uh, Kristen Bicknell and and uh, Saria Umarova won uh, bracelets in, in the last week, which I didn't get too much chance to cover here on the show. I had, uh, along the way, talked about nearly every event, but uh, those last 10, 12 events or so before the main kind of disappear into the right. background, people aren't noticing as much. Right. Uh, if you heard the show last week, I did interview uh, Andrew Lichtenberger, which was a cool story for me, especially since his... Uh, former roommate Tony Dunst, the from the WPT, also won a bracelet, right. both winning their first WP, WSOP bracelets out there uh, within a week of each other. And there were a lot of interesting. Sean Deeb won one of the late bracelets, and and we'll probably kind of run back and uh, summarize all of that. But there's so much to cover here tonight, so let's get into some of the stories. And and outside of Jason's story, which we mentioned in the first uh, segment. Uh, getting engaged and winning two bracelets, having the three-bracelet bet with uh, Vanessa Selps that he didn't want to expand on too much, but was really just part of his experience out there. It was kind of interesting, though, and really drove him to to play uh, more events this year. And he played a lot of the mixed events. I think he won a, if I'm not mistaken, it was Raz and then some sort of mixed uh, tournament that he won. Uh, so, again, we're seeing some of that stuff. I don't think... Do you play much of those mixed games no, at all? No, I didn't of them. think you did. No, so, only, uh, only, only hold them. So, uh, you know, some of that is starting to grow a little bit, and uh, I'm all for that. But uh, uh, it's not for everybody, obviously. But besides Jason's story, one of the big stories was uh, the appearance for the first time in since Black Friday of Howard Lederer, the professor, and 
Chris Ferguson, Jesus Ferguson, who uh, were co-owners of uh, Full Tilt Poker, uh, were involved in the management of the company, and were really uh, kind of focused on as some of the major uh, uh, people who were responsible for the money not being available when people wanted to withdraw. The government came in and froze all the assets, and then everything was realized that there wasn't the money available to repay people. And, and uh, you know, first of all, the government, of course, forced the shutdown, and uh, maybe because of some of the things they did, but they weren't the only ones. You know, they stepped in and stopped Poker Stars and arrested some of those people in Ultimate Poker, and, and uh, there was a big crackdown by the government, of course, on Black Friday 2011. And one of the big stories that came out of that was Daniel Anderson, uh, who was in the uh, Bet Ray's Fold movie, as were Tony Dunst and uh, Andrew Lichtenberger was in that movie, and a uh, fellow uh, named, uh, I guess his name was Martin Chapman, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. But to me, the best part of the story was Danielle, who was... Uh, By far. Yeah, yeah, who was, uh, you know, had a baby and was married, but made a great living playing online poker, and it was just the rug was pulled out from her uh, just like that and changed things. Of course... You know, she's probably harbored, uh, harbored a lot of hate in her heart for uh, whoever was responsible. And, you know, there's probably people more responsible than Letterer and uh, Ferguson, like Ray Bittar and some of the top people that uh, manage some of the finances. But uh, as far as a focus, a lot of people focused on those two guys. And this year, for the first time, they played in, in, main, in uh, events out in Vegas mainly because Letterer came out and issued an apology. For years, we didn't hear anything from either of those guys. And that was the problem for a lot of people, that they didn't stand up and take responsibility for their actions. And years and years went by without them uh, admitting any guilt, uh, just avoiding the spotlight in the public and never even commenting on it. For this year, finally, uh, Letterer, who actually went on Poker News for a series called The Letterer Files, uh, and basically avoided most of the questions and, and really didn't come clean, finally did this year on Daniel Negreanu's blog. And that kind of opened things up for maybe him to make a return. Jesus Ferguson was right behind, and, and both of them played in a lot of events. In fact, uh, Chris Ferguson finished in the top ten in the Player of the Year standings because he had like ten caches, and he had one final table where he finished fourth. But, uh, you know, a lot of people were very angry. You wondered if there was going to be some sort of physical confrontations with them, and I, I don't think there were anything like that. But one of the articles that we read about was uh, Daniel Anderson was playing in the main event, and uh, all of a sudden, day two, Howard Letterer was moved to her table. And uh, she knew she had to say something and, and did confront him uh, verbally. Uh, you know, he said, why are you here? You know, do you, don't you realize the kind of... Uh, you know, anguish you've caused in people's lives. And uh, it really was an interesting story, but uh, you had to feel for her. Yeah, absolutely. And it just goes to show you how her table that was having a great time, everybody was laughing, having fun, and, and, and just like that with the one person gone and Howard coming in, and nobody wanted to say anything, and the, yeah. the whole mood of the table changed. I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's better for those two to just let everybody play poker and, let them go do something else. But it seems like Chris is very happy to be the villain and loves the attention. He's so he just uh, thrived on it. Yeah, I mean, people asked him. Uh, plenty of reporters have given him many opportunities to explain himself. Uh, you know what he's uh, thought and reacted to over the years, and basically he just 
blew them all off and said, you know, I'm here to play poker. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. And, uh, you know, I saw him many times out there. Uh, you know, he seemed to be uh, enjoying himself, as you say, you know, whether it's uh, the black hat and the beard and long hair, whether it's, uh, you know, he feels like he fits into a role or something. But uh, certainly he acted like it was, none of it was his fault and none of it uh, really affected his life right. much. But I'm sure that both those guys have paid the price over the years. Well, that's what he's he's acting like that and he's he's. Uh, I don't see him not playing because people were upset about it. He don't think he cares. Yeah. It's funny because in that story they talk about a lady that was at the table with Danielle that uh, only played because her husband wanted her to. He put her in uh, for the tournament. And and I can really relate to this, but that after several hours she was like, had enough. You know, <laughs> she right. was like she wanted to just uh, distribute her chip stack to everybody else at the table and get up and leave. And, of course, they said you can't do that. Uh, so she tried to lose some hands and end up doubling up a couple times, which is the way poker goes. Right. And, uh, you know, Danielle got a big kick out of that. And for her to eventually leave and then uh, have Howard Letterer come into her place is really kind of uh, uh, pretty sad. I mean, I mean, it's pretty rough on her. She's not only been through a lot personally with her family and financially and stuff, but uh, to have to deal with that is, is certainly going to affect your game. Absolutely. Yeah, she actually had to leave and go outside and take a walk. Yeah, she felt physically ill. In fact, she says, you know, uh, she said to him, I'm actually sick to my stomach right now because you're here. And he responded and said, well, it does bother me. And uh, when she pushed it and said, you know, well, why are you here? You know, uh, people people don't want you around. Why can't you just leave us alone? And then there's no response after that. So kind of tough, but uh, that happened fairly early in the event that those guys showed up and played a couple of events. And, and uh, I think by the time we got to the main, it was kind of an old story. But uh, just the luck of being at her table really kind of brought it to a head. Right. Um, some of the other stories uh, we'll get to, um, you know, besides Jason, we had, the, you know, the fact that uh, Greg Raymer made it fairly deep into the tournament. We always look at some of the previous champions. And, and you look at guys like uh, Jerry Yang, Jamie Gold, uh, maybe even a Peter Eastgate that, uh, really have never showed back up and done much since. So it makes you kind of wonder, is it a once-in-a-lifetime experience to make a deep run in the main event? Or I guess it depends on how you play or who you are. Uh, but Raymer, who came back and had a deep run the year after he won, kind of has been around out there. And then the last couple of years he's done well on the Heartland Poker Tour and, and won some events. Uh, he's also been a fighter for... Uh, online poker and worked with closely with the PP, PPA, uh, the Poker Players Alliance, to kind of bring back online poker. I got a chance to talk with Greg, and uh, unfortunately, uh, that was one of my uh, technical goofs where I, I did about an 11-minute interview with him, and I wanted to play it on the show, but uh, I had left the recording on, and it was the first time using my phone to record these things. I usually have a other little portable recorder. And when I tried to trim the interview down and trim off the end, I actually trimmed off the front, so uh, I ended up losing the, uh, That's too the good bad. stuff. That's it was good shame. to see him make a good run, a yeah. good, a good run again. Yeah. And it's funny, uh, he was right next to Ryan Reese one day at the feature table, which I think we're going to see on the TV shows when they come around on day four. They're sitting next to each other okay. uh, at, at the feature table, so uh, that's pretty cool as well. But uh, to get back to my question is really, um, you know, what's it like for some of these guys? I guess when you're, when you're going through it, you realize this is my 
chance for the brass ring, and this is going to be something I need to make it work because I may never be back again. Absolutely. I think anybody who makes a deep run in the main is, is thinking that, and that's why it hurts so much when you get knocked out. If, you get, if you're lucky enough to get to uh, that point in the main, you, you want to get all the way because you may never be back there again. Uh, have you felt that in your poker life at all, where you've made some deep runs, maybe some final tables, maybe won a couple things, and then you don't really play any different, but maybe a year, a year and a half goes by, and you don't get that kind of success again for a while. Then all of a sudden, maybe you go through a, a, a hot run. Uh, the ups and downs, the variance of poker. Talk a little about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that, that so much of it is attitude and, and self-confidence and belief in yourself when you play a tournament. If you get into uh, a role like what Peter Holtz has done, where just everything goes right and you're making the right decisions and, and it seems so easy, and then you can get into a, a rut where for years – you, you never have that happen again. And that's what you're talking about with, with previous champions. You may never see Jerry Yang or Peter Acegate make a deep run again. Right. Uh, talking about Fader Holtz, uh, I got a chance to talk with him out there, and, and we carried some of that last week on the program. Just like a, uh, you know, a poker savant that has come on the scene as a 22-year-old and, and taken over, I think, uh, has won like six high roller events over the last year or something like that. And... Uh, he actually made an announcement uh, during his uh, bracelet event that he might walk away from the game, which is kind of uh, shocking. I think he's really smart to do that. Uh, he's made many millions, like $18 million doing it. He's 22, and if I was 22 and had made $18 million in poker, the last thing that I would be doing is planning to play more po- po- more poker. I would do anything else. He says, uh, you know, these events that people see me in on TV, and those those are the fun, that's the fun part of it. But the grind that goes behind that is is something he didn't know if he wanted to continue. He, there's many things he wants to do in his life, which is very smart, uh, you know, to enjoy yourself while you're young instead of getting into a poker rut that you do nothing but sit inside indoors at a table, you know, for 12, 14 hours a day. So, you know, I can kind of understand that, yet... You wonder when a guy has that much kind of that talent and that success, why you would give up the opportunity to enjoy yourself uh, dominating other players for years right. to come. I think you'll see him at uh, four or five events a year, and in, in places where he wants to travel anyway, and and he's just not going to devote full time anymore to just being to just grinding away and, and he'll do the fun part which is to go to a, a nice place like Monte Carlo and go and play an event yeah it's uh, it seems like it opens up such an unbelievable uh, you know opportunities for you to do the things but uh, I think something that uh, you know a lot of us that view the game will never understand is the constant pressure you're under right it is a lot of pressure uh, when you're doing it. It's, I think it's like anything else. When you're doing something for for fun, it can be great. The minute it starts to become a living and you have to do it, it's not as much fun anymore. And and poker, like you're talking about the swings of poker, can get to you, the grind, the hours. Uh, it, it's a lot to handle. Yeah. So he's 22 with all those millions. I think he's making a really smart decision to to walk away. He's also walking away on top, which is a great way to go out. Yeah, well, there's no question about that. Uh, you know, you just wonder how many uh, great titles and stuff that he could achieve. I know that uh, he had said going into the uh, the WSOP that 
you know, the major thing for him to accomplish was to win a bracelet, and he did win the high roller, right. uh, big drop high roller. Uh, so he has the bracelet now. Um, but he said even if he had lost head-to-head to Dan Smith, that that probably wouldn't have changed his outlook on it. Right. It's one thing if he wanted to become the all-time leading money winner in poker or some other title that he was looking for, but I think that he's done what he wants to do enough that he can go do something else now. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Well, I want to talk about the tournament a little bit Uh uh, we're coming up on a break here. Good time, Gio. Uh, well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll discuss the main event a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the local stuff. I, there's just so much to talk about and so much to cover. Uh, we could sit here and do like four shows back-to-back and yeah. uh, save them. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just unfortunate that, you know, four weeks from now, anything we talk about tonight would be uh, so dated and out and uh, uh, certainly not uh, current. But anyway... Uh, Gulfstream Park is uh, a place that uh, the whole family can go to. I mentioned it briefly in the last ad. But uh, when you go to Gulfstream Park, there's so many different things to do. If you take a family for the day, uh, there's certainly shopping for the wife. You can go uh, get together for dinner. Uh, Dad can head out and uh, bet on some horse racing or uh, head over to uh, play some poker in the poker room. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the kids, there's plenty of kids' places to hang out, and if you have, like, maybe an older daughter to watch them, uh, maybe, uh, maybe a slot player. There's just so many different combinations of things you can do at Gulfstream Park. Uh, it's very easy to get to off, off Federal Highway and Hallandale Beach Boulevard. It's east of I-95 and uh, just west of the beaches over there in Hallandale. Very easy to get to from Dade County, coming down from Palm Beach in the east coast of Florida. It's a very easy drive and a very easy uh, trip to get there. Uh, We recommend that you give it a try, and, of course, the place is beautiful. If you walk out by the track and the palm trees and the uh, condos out in the background of Aventura, uh, it's just a very special place, and if you haven't had a chance to experience it, we certainly invite you to do so. If you haven't been there for a while, we invite you to head back. Uh, they have plenty of different slot tournaments and uh, promotions going on in the casino. They have the poker room action. Uh, really, uh, have some really great games there. I don't know how much you play there cash game-wise. I know you play at some other places as well. But supposedly they have a really nice uh, 1025 Omaha game. Which they is have a big Omaha crazy. game, yes. So uh-huh. a lot of people point to that. And, uh, you know, you have your mix of players there. You have your regulars. You have your fish. You have your sharks. So, again, like uh, at the World Series of Poker, you can really kind of look around and try to find the right game that fits what you're looking to do. Uh, Of course, the racing goes on Wednesdays through Sundays, and throughout the summer now, it's a full schedule uh, of great racing. Of course, the winter season is when they have all the big stakes races, the top jockeys, the top trainers, and top uh, horses that come in from all over the country. But they still have a great uh, set of races throughout the summer, and occasionally they'll have some stake races and bring some competitions in with other horses from California and that sort of thing. So you can always check the schedule. It's located at 901 South Federal Highway, and the phone number, we give you the poker room phone number because we figure if you're listening to this show, that's what you're going to be most interested in, and it's 954-457-6336, 954-457-6336. Tell them the Big Dave sent you over. It's Gulfstream Park. Welcome to your playground. This is Poker Action Line. 
Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet. It will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer could purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available later this year. WFO Radio NHRA Nitro is all about the NHRA Full Throttle Drag Racing Series. Join Joe at 7 p.m. Eastern each Tuesday night for the first edition of NHRA Nitro. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt. Race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally. Every Tuesday night, following NHRA national events, NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO radio application and at WFORadio.com. We have plenty of time uh, over the next few weeks to kind of run down the main event uh, November 9th, so I I won't spend too much on that tonight. I did want to kind of run down what happened along the way with a couple of people that we knew. Uh, I mentioned the the grinder and his brothers. Of course, Rob won a bracelet this year. Uh, the two other brothers, Eric and Donnie, made it to day two as well. Uh, I don't know. How, how well do you know them? Uh, Very well. Yeah. I've known them since they were kids, 17, 18. And, and they're all pretty decent players, but obviously there's a... There's a level there between Rob and, and the grinder and then the two younger brothers Correct. who don't play as much. So, uh, you know, they're the key if they want any kind of uh, return to the four brothers making making the cash. Right. You know, it's up to them. To but really they did good. They had a good. They had a good series. And, and Michael, I think, finished uh, just outside of the top ten in, in points. Correct. And, uh, and the tag team, I think their team finished like 26th or something like that. So they made a payoff there. A uh, good friend of theirs that uh, we know is Stacy Madison, who's been on the show before. Uh, Stacy, a former poker dealer, and actually runs the this, this Rocky Dealer right. Academy, which is now called the WSOP.com Academy right. Dealer Academy, right. uh, and supplies uh, poker dealers for the series and and uh, has a location here in South Florida. Uh, Stacy made it very deep into the event, and and we're going to probably see her on uh, TV a good bit because. 
she was at a table with a fellow named William Kasuf from Great Britain, and there was actually a hand that uh, uh, Stacy, who eventually got knocked out in 169th place, which was a, a, a tremendous run for a field of 6,700, uh, and she made it into day day five. But uh, Stacy actually had a hand where this guy uh, had had mentioned, you know, why don't you just fold, uh, you know, if you don't want to lose all your chips, and, and was really kind of harassing her. Uh, when I first heard there was harassment, my original thought was, you know, she's a very pretty girl. Uh, you know, as we know in poker, a lot of times women are harassed because of their looks or or because of the way they play, and, and you know, it's not certainly not a level playing field as far as uh, treatment of people. Right. We know that that's something that we fight all the time. But when I first heard there was harassment, I thought, well, maybe he made some sexist comments to her or that sort of thing. But really, it wasn't as bad as that. He just basically did something that he did all along the way, and that's try to get under players' skin when they're making an important decision. And as it turned out, it was a kind of a pretty uh, dry board that uh, she was holding pocket queens, and he had nine six. There was a, uh, I think there was a uh, five and an eight out on the board uh, from the flop. So uh, he was working on some sort of straight or something. Didn't get it, and basically, kind of cajoled her into folding. Uh, Jack Effel was at the table at the time when it was happening, and I guess some of the comments were were fairly nasty. What did you What did you think about that whole hand? He was actually penalized an entire orbit. Uh, worked out his differences with Jack Effel later. But that kind of behavior at the table, I'm sure you've seen it thousands of times. Right. And where do we draw the line on what's acceptable and what's not? Well, and I think that he's he made himself into one of the polarizing uh, characters that you're going to see a lot on the TV coverage of the main event, especially the hand that uh, the Kings versus Aces hand. That he got knocked out on That later. he got knocked out. That's going to be probably one of the big hands that, that's going to be televised. And I think that they want personalities. Imagine if that was you and me in Correct. a hand with the with the kings and aces, and nothing was said, and one of us just tanked for a while, and then eventually folded or called. There's nothing for the audience, but right. but he he absolutely made a big show with the Stacy hand, telling her all the cameras are here. You don't want to get knocked out in front of all these cameras, and made it sound like he was trying to talk her into folding which would suggest that she should call. And since poker players are always trying to do the opposite, she ended up making a, a lay down on a hand that, that probably was a, a, the right thing uh, for, her to, uh, to, for her to figure out to do, but he showed the bluff, and that's just horrible. She's got to be crushed by that. Yeah, and uh, I guess because uh, Jack saw it, uh, it transpired, was it deserving of a penalty and uh you know sitting out in orbit? Yeah, I think that's a one round penalty what he did. And at that point of the tournament we're talking with a couple hundred people left. Uh what is the ramifications of that sort of penalty? Well, I I've seen uh Mike Mattisau get get a one round penalty in a tournament that he was so heated at the time that if he if he would have stayed it's in the tournament, a good idea. yeah, he yeah. probably would have gotten knocked out, and he ended up winning the tournament. So, I don't think that it affected uh, the situation at all in terms of his chips or anything. I, I think that it was the the right decision, and he's he's doing something that made himself 
uh, probably a hero to a lot of his local countrymen, uh, love what he did, mm-hmm. and he's a name because of it, and ESPN gets a lot of a lot of coverage out of it. Well, he'll certainly be a name after the TV coverage. Yeah, that for all sure. Out. Uh, just to give you some of the details, he said uh, his comment to her was, uh, you don't want to be eliminated in front of the whole camera crew, do you? Just lay it down. Don't go broke this hand. Uh, she was upset, and uh, Ethel said that uh, uh, if he continued to talk, he would be uh, assessed a penalty. Now, he says he didn't say anything after that. Uh, he thought that was out of line. But she folded her queen's face up, and when he had the 9-6 offsuit for the bluff and got the penalty, uh, you know, they actually talked it out. But he had several other instances including uh, when we went down to the final 20, he was still alive. And, uh, uh, by the way, he actually knocked Stacy out later in the event He had uh, when she had pocket aces and knocked her out of the event. So uh, it's really got to be stuck in her craw, I would think. Uh, sure. She if she makes that call, it. who knows what happens. Maybe she ends up in the top 20 and he goes out 169. And then she's probably... Certainly looking back at any opportunities to get back at him. She has pocket aces. Uh, she gets it all in good. Uh, she had about 400000 left at that point, which is was not a big stack, but it was certainly dwindling. Uh, but to lose that hand, I think he had, uh, I, I think he, I don't remember the exact hand of what he had, but uh, he ends up beating her. Now, to make that even stranger, uh, when he gets knocked out of the event by Griffin Banger, he had pocket kings and had several words with Banger, who had pocket aces at the time. Right. So uh, he got his just due, really, for that to happen that way. But uh, we'll see a lot of this on TV when they have uh, some angry words uh, before he finally makes the call and Banger finally goes out and, and uh, makes the call himself for like 5.6 million chips right. and uh, ends up holding up with the aces and, and knocking out Kasuf. So... Uh, from the people who watched thousands and thousands of hands from uh, ringside of uh, the feature table and all throughout the uh, the Amazon room and Brasilia and all the other places that they played out there, uh, they pretty much agreed that that was going to be the highlight of the uh, TV coverage. Uh, I think it around. will, yeah. It's, and it's funny because last year, uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, one of the uh, – confrontations that, that made some of the big TV time was a fellow, uh, I think he was from Nebraska or something, named Curtis Rystad, uh, sure. was wearing a red hat, and, and really uh, had a lot to say to Kyle Karanen, who was the chip leader uh, for a good bit of the tournament last year, and uh, that got a lot of TV coverage, their confrontations and, and the way that played out. Uh, I, had, I was going to ask Kyle about it this year. I walked up to him as they were going to a break, and he actually said to me, uh, you know, I've decided I'm really not going to talk with the press this year and uh, let all that stuff go by. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be on his mind for the rest of his poker career, some of that. Right. I, I think that they love it. They love big personalities, and you have to have a villain. This guy was the perfect villain. So you're going to see that on the coverage and what you what you should. Who, who wants to just watch uh, people just playing boring poker? You you want some activity at the table. Exactly. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. Let's just kind of give you a quick rundown of, of what happened some of the later days. Obviously, the TV coverage is going to be uh, pretty much starting with day four. There will be some stuff from the early days uh, shown in probably the early shows. 
But they mentioned today when it starts later in the fall, day four is going to be the beginning of the main coverage. So at the end of day three, the chip leader was Kenny Hallert, who uh, went down the chip chip charts the next couple of days and then made a return um, to the top ten. Brian Piccioli, who a lot of people are familiar with, ended day four as the chip leader with uh, about four million chips. Uh, Melanie Wiesner had a big lead. Dan Coleman, the former one drop, sure. a big one for one drop winner, and who won a big tournament here at the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. Uh, I don't think it was last year. I think it was the year before. But obviously very well known because of some of his comments about Phil Hellmuth and, and his talk that he didn't feel he was responsible for talking to the press uh, and supporting the game because it was kind of an evil game and that sort of thing. So he kind of became a little bit of a villain as well. But uh, some other people who made some deep runs, Tom Marchese, uh, Jared Blesnick were all there along the way. Uh, Gael Bauman, who just bubbled the final table a couple right, of years she ago. Finished 10th, she finished right. in 10th, and uh, Elizabeth Hill that year finished 11th. So the two women were right on the verge of making the final table. Both got eliminated just outside of it. But uh, Bauman came back, and uh, she ends up finishing, uh, I think, in 11th place this year. So, uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken. But she uh, made a very deep run, and and eventually got knocked out. But uh, uh, Brian Piccioli was the leader after day four, a player who I mentioned earlier, Jerry Wong, who plays a lot here in South Florida. I don't believe he lives here, but uh, he took the lead at the end of day five. Day six, uh, Wojtek Ruzicka uh, took the chip lead on day six, and that put them down to the final 27, and they went to the final group there of uh, November 9. So, What's it like, Michael? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you've never been there to that kind of a magnitude of an event. Right. But when you start getting close, you, you've you gone through the the money bubble, which is a whole other story about how people react and play to that. And you could take advantage of that, obviously, when uh, sure. people are playing very tight and, and folding really good hands uh, if you put enough pressure on them. So that's one thing. But when it gets down to the last couple of spots there, you know, uh, Carlos Mortensen was on the bubble a couple of years ago and 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 several big names. Uh, what kind of pressure is that like when you get down to about 15 players and you know that the difference between making a million dollars and maybe making 200000 and all the accolade and the possibilities that go with the November 9 are sitting there just in your in, just out of your reach that you might be able to get uh, how do you deal with that oh, yeah that, that's a very tough spot in any tournament especially because when you get close to the final table you're going to start playing six-handed at one table and five-handed at the other the blinds are are coming around very fast and and you're trying to either survive or accumulate chips and that's a it's a high-pressure situation. There's a huge difference between going out 15th, as I've done before, and making the final table. Uh, I think you have to get over that hump. You have to be very uh, tough, disciplined, and patient at that point and, and really make your moves count. And once you get over that hump, that's another hump just like the, the money bubble. So as you're leveling up in the tournament and the money keeps going up, you just have to be very aware of what everybody has at the turn at the table, what their what their stack sizes are, what their what they're doing with their cards. Are they just folding, trying to get to uh, to the next spot? And you have to you have to really make your moves carefully. In in your opinion, and obviously everybody's different, but in your opinion, uh, for yourself personally, what's the most important thing? Is it the money? 
the huge money jumps where you can make so much more money if you just sit there long enough to see another player knocked out and move up the charts a little bit? Is it reaching the final table and the the fun and the acclaim that goes along with that and the fame that uh, you're going to be interviewed by uh, people uh, right and left and, and make a name for yourself that maybe you can turn into even more money down the line? Or is it uh, trying to avoid the embarrassment of maybe making a mistake in front of uh, the entire poker world that everybody's going to see in a few months? Yeah, I think that in, in the World Series, it's all about making the, the final nine. And what that does for you in the future is different for everybody, but it opens up a tremendous amount of doors. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, let's take a look at the November 9. Uh, we'll run it down for you, obviously, over the next few weeks. We'll try to get some interviews with some of these guys. Uh, and take a look at uh, what they've done in the past. The chip leader is uh, Cliff Josephy, known as Johnny Bax. And uh, he backed Joe Cotta a few years ago. A lot of people uh, didn't realize that, but uh, he was one of his backers. And he has 74 million chips. I've played with him here at the Hard Rock. He's a great guy. Played tournaments with him. He's a lot of fun at the table. Real gentleman. Yeah, I, I think guy. he was uh, he was a very popular uh, arrival to move up the charts late. Yes. Uh, uh, Kui Nguyen is a Las Vegas resident, 39 years old, a poker pro, has just $9,000 in WSOP earnings going in this year, uh, which is obviously less than it cost him to buy into the tournament this year. Uh, he is second in chips with $67 million, uh, a total unknown that has uh, pie in the sky there. And uh, good for him. Great story. Uh, Gordon Vallo is third in chips with $49 million, 27 years old from San Francisco. Uh, there's plenty of uh, WSOP caches, 26 in all, worth about 600000 and uh, finished second in a tournament in 2014 at the WSOP. Uh, but this is his first time cashing in the main. He played in 21 gold bracelet events this year, cashed in eight of them, so he had a good season. And he, was, he is third in chips now with $49 million. Kenny Hallert is from Belgium, second year in a row, a player from Belgium. He's from Hansbeek. Belgium, and a uh, pretty good career. He had a sixth-place finish in uh, Deauville on the EPT in 2011, and has cashed twice previously in the main event. Uh, the highest finish for him was 123rd, though, so not a well-known player from Belgium, uh, but he is fourth in chips with $43 million. Michael Ruane from New Jersey, Hoboken, New Jersey, 28 years old. Uh, another guy with just a handful of caches, just $24,000 in lifetime WSOP earnings from three previous caches. He is fifth in chips with $31 million. Uh, Votek Ruzichka, $27 million. He's sixth in chips. He is from Prague, Czech, Czech Republic. And uh, he follows in the footsteps of Martin Stashko, who uh, made that final two back in 2011. And he is, uh, again, sixth with $27 million. Griffin Banger, who is uh, the commentator, the color analyst for the Global Poker League this right. year. Who wasn't even going to play this event. Wasn't going to play this <laughs> event. Yeah, great story. Yeah. And at the last minute, he satellited in uh, on, uh, I think, 888 Poker uh, with a $1,000 uh, satellite. Right. Uh, got him in for the $10,000 buy-in. Very popular guy who... Uh, uh, has played on the Shark Tank series in London. Uh, he's from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, 
And uh, he's also been a world champion in the computer game called Counter-Strike. So that's kind of an interesting thing, too, and was ranked as the number one online poker player back in 2011. But probably best known now for his commentary on the uh, GPL Cube matches. Did you get a chance right. to see any of those this summer? No, I did not watch them. Uh, that will be pretty cool as well. Uh, anyway, he is seventh in chips, $26 million. Jerry Wong, who is uh, from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and spends a lot of time down here in South Florida. And Jerry, by the way, is a member of a great group called Slum Donkey Poker. Okay, Our friend Lou too. Stadler okay. is, is one of the administrators. And uh, Perry, who won the Millionaire Perry Maker, Shao. is a member. Uh, great group of about 200 guys who are on WhatsApp talking about poker strategy, uh, tournaments, all kinds of events. And this is the first year that they really got together, and uh, and I told you I'll um, I'll talk to them about getting on the WhatsApp so that you can be a part of the group. Now, can and anybody get involved in that? Well, you have to, be, have invited, to be invited. You have to be invited into the group. Okay. Um, I was lucky enough to be invited to to join, and here in their first year of having patches and chip protectors, uh, one of the members during Wong makes of November nine. Uh, it sounds very interesting. I'm certainly looking forward to checking that out. Yeah. Uh, Perry, obviously one of the great kids. In, uh, yeah, and Lou, our friend Lou, is a great and Lou, guy. And Lou Stadler as well. Yep. Slum Donkey Poker. And by the way, Lou is uh, cashing a lot of tournaments this summer. Yeah, he's doing, doing great. Well. I don't know if he played out there at all in Vegas. But, uh, he uh, did play in Vegas, but uh, yeah, he's been cashing a lot of local events. Very cool. Uh, Jerry Wong is 34 years old, I mentioned from Brooklyn. And uh, his biggest payday was at the PCA in the Bahamas, who went to 725000 uh for a third-place finish there. Uh, he is eighth in chips with $10 million, so he's one of the shorter stacks, and obviously we'll have to get some cooking pretty early. Okay, he'll be all right. Yeah, he'll be okay. Uh, Fernando Pons is our ninth uh, place in chips, and as we know, uh, they've all been paid out a uh, million dollars or more out there coming home. Uh, if you finish in ninth place at November 9, you go home with nothing extra. Uh, the bottom two spots only take home a, kind of a small pittance, 100000 and 250000 for eighth and seventh. Right. But uh, just to get there and have a chance is really the goal. Oh, obviously. absolutely. Uh, anyway, uh, Pons is from Spain. He's 37 years old. Never cashed previously, previously at the WSOP. So, uh, again, we, when we look back at these things, uh, you know, I mean, we've heard stories about people finding fault with beginners and making mistakes, but, uh, you know, any, anybody can do it. We saw it at the Millionaire Maker this year with the, with a fellow from Arizona, the 29-year-old lawyer, who had only played in two tournaments that cost more than a $100 buy-in in his entire life. Uh, he had played in one SOP event, I think, for $1,000 or something. He goes and wins this tournament and wins $1.2 million. Great story. Just Amazing. goes to show you anybody can win a tournament. Mitchell Towner from uh, the, the Phoenix area. Anyway, first place will be, uh, again, this will take place starting uh, October 30th through November 1st. First place is $8 million. Second place, $4.65 million. And third is $3.4 million. And, again, we're talking about three nights of coverage and uh, looking forward to that again. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it'll be a great event. Uh, they'll pick it up uh, in level 35 with about a half hour left in that level. Annie's of 75000 blinds at 250000 and 500k for the big blind. Um, the coverage uh, for the fall starts September 11th uh, at 8.30 on ESPN2. They'll have two-hour blocks each Sunday at 8.30 until the main event. So... Uh, I talked with Lizzie Harrison last week. I don't know if you know Lizzie, but she uh, worked with uh, Ultimate Poker and has worked with uh, Brian and Sandy at PPC. 
and uh, she works on some of those features, a freelancer that works with uh, Poker Productions. And uh, that's the really enjoyable thing is that they're able to spin all these stories, some of the things we talked about tonight, but, but even more heartwarming stories uh, from week to week of, of players that uh, make up the backbone of this game that we love. Uh, there's some other great stories also. I know we didn't get we have a lot to talk about, but the uh, the winner of the Colossus who was down to one anti chip at the end of day one yeah. and came back and won the whole event for a million dollars. That's a great story. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm sure they'll cover some of that stuff, but obviously uh, the stuff that happened from day four on will be most of the focus throughout. Just a couple of numbers. Uh, again, the 6,737. Uh, that played in the main event this year, was the fifth largest in the 47-year his- history of the tournament. The average age was just over 40 years old. The oldest player was 95. The youngest was 19 days past his 21st birthday. And the uh, last woman standing, as I mentioned, was Guy Bauman. She finished in 102nd place. I think I said uh, 11th. That was way off. But uh, 102nd place for the last woman standing. Maria Ho made another great run this year. Uh, our friend Stacy Madison as well. So, So great stuff. So that's going to do it for the show. Uh, so many other things we can talk about, and obviously we'll rehash some stuff with Joe next week. And, uh, Michael, thank you so much. Uh, before I close the show, and we're running just a little bit long, but I do want to uh, get some of, some of the stuff in, and that is uh, what your plans are. You've gone out there. you played the cash games. First of all, do you think that contributed to uh, your knowledge and advancement in poker overall? I always learn something every time that I play which is great. Uh, this trip was, was no different, and I'm using that to play the Isle Tournament tomorrow, the main event, and then uh, the main event at the Hard Rock next month, which I'm winning. I'm calling my yeah, shot right now. I'm telling you, you right that. now. You can play this tape <laughs> in we four got, weeks. We got it on. We'll um, announce it to I'm the winning, world. I'm winning the main event at the Hard Rock in, in August. Congratulations uh, <laughs> in advance. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, but just to tell you just a, just a bit more about the main event, Florida State Poker Championships at the Isle Casino. That gets, gets underway tomorrow, uh, Thursday, July 21st, as we take the show here on our regular Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Starting at noon, a 500000 guarantee in this event for a $1,500 buy-in. You're going to play in that. Uh, they'll come back for day two on Sunday and then finish up on Monday. Correct. Uh, so that is always a great event and will be a lot of fun. And then the Seminole Hard Rock kicks off uh, on the 28th with uh, some of their events. Uh, the main event uh, starts on August 13th. And then the other big four events the next couple of days, and then they'll finish with their final tables on August 16th. So that's something we're looking forward to as well, and we'll have some fun. But that's going to do it for tonight's program. Thank you for taking the time to come You're in. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I love, Always love appreciate being here. Uh, Gio, thank you as well. Uh, great job on last week's show, which was a tremendous amount of work, and we certainly uh, appreciate everything you do. Thanks for being with us. I uh, hope you'll be back with us next week. Uh, we'll get to some of our interviews next week. Mike, uh, Chris Moneymaker. Uh, Fatima, Marrera de Mello, several other people that we talked to out in Vegas. We're saving those for next week here in the program. Thanks for being with us, and so long till next week from Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies.